Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the podcast is researcher, speaker, and best-selling author, Vanessa Van Edwards. Vanessa is one of the world's leading experts in people skills and interpersonal intelligence. She has over 2 million views of her TED Talk, 600,000 subscribers on YouTube, and her new book, Cues, teaches the reader how to master the secret language of charismatic communication. And in the book and throughout our conversation here today, Vanessa explains how to interpret, control and master these social signals to help you make an amazing impression at work and anywhere else you'd like to stand out in the right way. Now, I had watched Vanessa's TED Talk and I'd seen her in interviews and was utterly fascinated, not only by what her research shows about how we interact with others, but how refreshing it was to hear how she describes herself because Vanessa says she is a, and I quote, recovering awkward person. Now, being around other people can be challenging, especially if you don't feel confident. And as Vanessa describes, you can create a cycle in which you feel awkward, misinterpret the situation, feel more awkward, misinterpret the situation further and so on. And then you get lost in a cycle. And listeners, when Vanessa was describing this, I could really relate. And if any of that sounds like you, then keep listening because Vanessa breaks down how we can become a super cue reading machine, how to recognize the different cues, there's nonverbal, vocal, verbal, and imagery, and how to interpret them to not only make ourselves feel comfortable, but to make the people around us feel comfortable too. She also explains how our own cues can tell the world how to treat us and how empowering learning that skill can be, as well as why we should all ask ourselves before any social interaction, what is my social goal here? Plus, if you're thinking, I wouldn't even know what a social goal is, she gives some hints about ones to think about if you're not entirely sure. We also discuss narcissists, how to spot them and how to navigate away from them, toxic personalities, why you may be one of the many people who isn't an extrovert or an introvert, but is actually an ambivert, and why being vulnerable isn't a weakness. In fact, Vanessa shares so many useful tips and observations in this episode that I think we should just get to as quickly as possible, don't you? She really is absolutely brilliant, as you will hear, and I learned so much from this conversation and from reading the book, and I'm so delighted to be sharing her with you on The Emma Gunn Show. Needless to say, all of the links to Vanessa will be in the show notes. So that does include the TED Talk, that includes the book Cues, that includes her other book Captivate, um, her YouTube channel, her social media. 
And I'll also put the link to a couple of other channels that we mentioned during our conversation. But if you have any comments about this episode, when you finish listening, if you think, oh, I would like to ask Emma about this, all you have to do is email thebeautypodcast at gmail.com and put Vanessa Van Edwards in the title and that that will whiz you straight to the top of my inbox. And I can't wait to see what you think of this conversation. So without any further ado, it is my honest pleasure and delight to welcome Vanessa Van Edwards onto The Emma Gunn Show. This is a treat, listeners, because Vanessa Van Edwards is on the podcast. She is the, well, she is a behavioral investigator at Science of People and an author, an incredible speaker. And she's now joining us on the show. Vanessa, welcome to the Emma Gunn Show. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be talking to you because we are going to be talking about that thing that is so invisible yet visible (laughs) (laughs) that allows us to navigate the world with far greater ease if we can just kind of pick up on it and understand it and that's really body language and non-verbal cues and verbal cues and we'll really dig into all of that but I wanted to ask you about something that I've seen you say before which just made me instantly think I know I'm going to like this woman and that is that you've described yourself as a recovering awkward person Yes, I am very much in recovery. I am in a recovering awkward person. I feel like for so many years, I, first of all, I felt like the cool kids, the charismatic kids, they were born with it, right? Mm-hmm. I thought there's no way for me to learn how to be charismatic. And so for so many years, I had all kinds of the way that I think of it is like social pain, right? I always felt like I don't belong. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I also have this horrible affliction. I don't know if you also have this affliction where I misinterpret neutral faces as negative. So whenever I leave a party, you know, I'm like, is she mad at me? She hates me. (gasps) Oh, I'm going to need your phone number. (laughs) I know. And, and what, and so a, a generous, generous friend took me aside a couple of years ago and she said, Vanessa, no one's mad at you. No one's mad at you. And that, that eye roll that you think you saw, it wasn't really an eye roll. She was just blinking, mm-hmm. you know? And this is when I realized that we have this super cue reading machine in our brain. And at this point I had already begun research into how do humans decode cues? So cues very simply are the subtle, powerful social signals we send to each other. And there's four main ways that we do this. So with our nonverbal, so like our posture, our body language, our facial expressions, our vocal. So vocal is another one that I think I often forgot about, right? So if someone says, yeah, I'm so happy you came, Mm. we we know not really, right? So vocal. And then verbal, of course, the words that we use. There's also lots of hidden messages and words that I don't think we even realize are so powerful. And last one is imagery. So the props in our background, the colors we wear, the fonts we use, even fonts have personality, which is incredible. And so I didn't realize that if I am misreading cues, I am constantly interpreting social signals incorrectly. And that makes me make bad social decisions. And I was stuck in that loop. Mm-hmm. I feel awkward. I misinterpret cues. I feel more awkward, which makes me more misinterpret cues. And it was like this horrible cycle. You know, are you in, do you ever get in that cycle? Is that just me? <laughs> Basically you create a, a false narrative or you create a false and negative reality. And then over time, you're then fighting against negativity that doesn't actually exist. So you're the person who brings the negativity into every situation that you're in even though you really don't want to be negative. Yes. And I think this is, you're getting to the heart of it. And I know this is the first few minutes of the interview, but this is <laughs> where I, I truly believe we tell the world how to treat us. And that is extremely empowering. I used to think the world happened to me. And that was a really scary way to interact. Right? I didn't know how to be when I felt the world was, in, was, was, was telling me what to do. But when I realized, no, actually, we have so much power and potential if we actually tell the word, world how we want to be treated. That's a, uh, there's a, a secret social skill that I don't think we talk about enough, which is social assertiveness. Mm-hmm. That if we know how to ask for our needs, show people how we would like to be treated, show up as our best self, that is social assertiveness. And it is like a superpower. 
Okay, so I'm sure lots of listeners and me are going to say, okay, what's the secret sauce? How do I fast track my way to social assertiveness? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's fast track. Yeah. I love a fast track too. Okay. <laughs> so, so the very first thing that we have to understand is there are two aspects to cues. There's decoding and encoding. Mm -hmm. So with those four channels we talked about earlier is the first way that we interact with the world is we decode cues. So we walk into a room and we try to suss out how everyone's feeling, right? We're looking at their faces, we're listening to their tone of voice. And this study changed the way I think about communication. Very simple study. I love science. So I hope it's okay if I bring up, bring in some science. Okay. Okay. Good. So in this study, what they did is they had people walk into a room and they were shown a cue of social rejection. So imagine you walk into a meeting or you hop on a video call and you spot a cue of social rejection. Now, a cue of social rejection could be an eye roll. It could be a scoff. Have you ever had this where you say something and someone in the meeting goes, oh. <laughs> it's like the worst, right? Right. Or um, even a, a tone of voice of, yeah, that's a great idea. So those are all cues of social rejection, eye rolls, um, scoffs, or a dismissive tone of voice. They found that when people spotted the cue of social rejection, immediately their field of vision increases, increased. So their pupils dilated so they could literally see more of the world. This was a, a light bulb moment for me because I realized that's what's happening to us we might not even consciously realize we just saw a negative cue or a positive cue, but our brain realized it and it changes our physiology. When our pupils dilate, when our field of vision increases, we see more, is there an escape route? We see, does anyone else send me a cue of social rejection? And what should I do next? In this way, our body is already working to help us. And that is the shortcut. The shortcut is we already have this power. Our brain is already reacting to these cues. All we have to do is name and tame them. So the second study that comes after this, one, which is where I know we can fix this, is what Dr. Matthew Lieberman found. He's a researcher at UCLA. He found that when people see a social rejection cue or a fear microexpression, so fear microexpression is when we uh, raise our eyelids up so the whites of our eyes show and we raise our eyebrows up as far as they go and we take in air. That's a, a universal fear expression. Uh, you can feel it, by the way, if anyone who's listening, just widen your eyes so the whites of your eyes, upper whites of your eyes show, you'll actually begin to feel a little anxious if you do that mm. for too long. So I'm going to really... lean forward immediately. Yeah, good. She winks. Good. She winks. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. We're on the same page. So when, the, when he shows people a fear microexpression, um, people's amygdala begins to process fear. But when they're told to label what they see, fear, the fear in the amygdala goes away. In other words, the moment we label a negative cue, it stops affecting us negatively. We become more in control of it. So if you walk into a meeting and you see, oh, wonderful. I see nods. I see some positive affirmations. I see some leans, positive, positive, positive. You're in control. You're right. You're, you are saying, right. I spot all those cues. If it's a negative cue, say, wow, I saw an eye roll. I wonder why. Hmm. I should research that later. Even just spotting it disengages its effect on you. And that is the, that's the shortcut that the moment we learn to label these 96 cues, they all become into our, into our control. And that's really empowering. And actually it's reminding me of a conversation I had recently with Chris Voss, the FBI negotiator. Oh yes. Yes. Amazing. And one of the strategies that they use in negotiation is label it. Seems like, seems like you're unhappy with this. And it neutralizes it. And it's the same thing. Basically, you're negotiating with your brain. Oh, yes, exactly. So one, label this for yourself. And then two, exactly what Chris Voss says, that also can give you information to label with them. So you can say, it seems like you're frustrated. It seems like you're unhappy. It seems like you're a little worried. And then what happens when you label something, even to take it a step further, is let's say that it's a cue that you don't know. It's a cue, I'm not sure what that is. You can even use what I call a fill in the blank word. So fill in the blank word is a word that you want someone to correct. So I like the word confused. The reason for this is because most of the time people don't like to be confused and people usually feel that they know exactly how they feel. So I'll say, is this confusing? You seem a little confused. And then he will say, oh, no, no, I'm not confused. I'm gold, right? So you can say confused. The other word you can use is upset. 
So again, that's another word that people don't love to be upset. They like to be more specific emotion. So you can say, are, is this upsetting you? Are you upset? Is everything okay? And then someone will say, oh no, I'm not upset. I'm just, and they can fill in the blank. So confused and upset are great uh, words that allow people permission to open up to you. And that is telling the world how you want it, how you want to be treated, right? If you say, I want to be clear, I want to make sure that we know exactly how each other is feeling. And I want you to tell me exactly how you feel. That is a very beautiful way to interact. I think that even as someone who's, who is upset or is frustrated, they're going to be so relieved when you say that. Mm. It's about giving permission, isn't it? To have your feelings and to be heard. That's right. And that bites awkwardness. Right. When we go back to awkwardness, I think, listen, awkwardness dresses up a lot of ways. And I would be curious for your listeners, a question that I like to think about is how does your awkwardness dress up? So when you are on a date or in a meeting or with your partner and some awkwardness happens, you don't know what to say, or um, someone says something uncomfortable, what do you do? So do you shut down? Do you become quiet? Do you not want to engage? Do you ramp up? Do you become overly dramatic? Do you talk too much? Are you an over-talker or an over-sharer? I have some people who in awkwardness, they immediately verbal vomit. Like they just start talking and they just can't stop talking, right? So how does your awkwardness dress up? That is a very empowering thing to know about yourself because then you can say, oh, I feel awkward, labeling it, right? I feel awkward, I feel uncomfortable. Take a deep breath, don't shut down or don't keep talking. Take a moment and decide what your next step is. And so a lot of this is also just, we're adding pauses in to make sure that we're accepting where the awkwardness is and how it's dressing up. Do you know how your awkwardness dress up, dresses up? Can it be all of those things? Because as you were speaking, I thought, <laughs> I my, my default, I guess, when I'm feeling awkward is to shut down completely. Mm-hmm. And in, when I was reading the book and you talk about bluffing and how some people, when they're playing <laughs> poker, the, their way of bluffing is to shut down any physical micro expression or but they become cold. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh, bugger. I've definitely yeah. been, been cold when actually it's a protective mechanism. It's like an armadillo thing, but you yes. become completely inaccessible. And it's not actually, people aren't going to say, oh, let me tickle her under the chin and coax her back <laughs> and make her feel comfortable. They're going to kick you out of the room like a football. And it made so much sense. Okay, I'm going to hopefully make you feel better right now, which is that is the instinct of smart people. So I do very, very, Vanessa. Oh, yes. And that is true. That is true. So let me, let me explain this. So this is the biggest, the single biggest mistake I see smart people make. And so this is why this should make you feel good is smart people when they don't know what cues to send under cue. So in other words, they think, I'm smart enough to rely on my verbal content, on my ideas. I don't know exactly what cues to send. I don't feel good. I'm going to shut down all of my cues and go mute and let my words and my ideas and my intelligence speak for itself. And that is the problem we're having, I think, with leadership today. That is why I think we're so burnt out. It's because when you're in an environment where people are under signaling, your brain is exhausted. We need cues to tell us how we should interact. So we look around at people's faces to see, are we okay? Do you like me? Do you agree with me? Are we on the same page, right? We're constantly looking for cues of reassurance and belonging. Every human, when we interact, we ask two questions that people we're interacting with. The first question is, can I trust you? And the second question is, can I rely on you? Warm and competent, which we could talk about if you'd like. Those two questions, if they are not immediately answered in the first few minutes of a video call, of a date, of a party, of a a get-together, our brain goes into overdrive, going, does this person trust me? Can I trust them? Can I rely on them? And so very smart people will go into a meeting and try to show no cues at all, which means that everyone is in that awkward questioning state, and that exhausts us socially. Mm. So actually it can be kind of a, a quite mercenary way of commanding a room. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think that powerful people, they, their instinct is, oh, stoic makes me look powerful. Unexpressive makes me look powerful. This is an interesting conversation I had. This is a little bit controversial what I'm going to say. So I, I hope that people will, will think of it with an open mind. It research shows that if we under signal, if we go, if we go stoic or if we go under expressive, that puts us in the danger zone that makes us intimidating and cold. However, someone recently mentioned to me, I think this is true. They said, being a bad communicator is a privilege. 
if you're powerful or rich or successful and you don't feel like you even have to try, you don't even have to cue, then it's your privilege to be a bad communicator. I thought that was an interesting way of thinking about it, that if you're under cueing or muting, it's like saying, I'm so privileged, I don't even have to social signal for you. Who wants to interact that way? Yeah, no. <laughs> No, I know. And by the way, people listening, if you think of a bad communicator, it might be a narcissist, right? So a lot of the times, narcissists are exceptionally bad communicators. Do you know what one of my dream scenarios would be? And this is genuine and being very vulnerable <laughs> and honest here, is yes. to sit down with you and Dr. Ramani Devazula and watch reality TV. And every time <laughs> I think someone's a narcissist, just look at you both and just get you to confirm it or to give me yes. your professional opinion. <laughs> Okay, next level, I wish there was a narcissist wristband that everyone had to wear and it would just would just color red when you were talking to a narcissist because they're sneakers. You know, narcissists, they like sneak in there and narcissists are very good at acting like they're not narcissists. And so all of a sudden you'll realize, you know, four months into working with someone, wait a minute, I think something's off here. And a lot of the times it, because it comes with this sense of privilege and that can leak out in bad communication. Oh my goodness, we could talk about narcissists forever, but that's a whole different, whole different path. <laughs> but I, but I will unpick it a little bit with you if that's all right, and, that, uh-huh. and that's in reference actually to uh, the way I think narcissism was put on a pedestal. And I always use this reference when I think of a film like Wall Street, and greed is good, and Michael Douglas, and being author like shouting, getting your way, being quite cutthroat, was seen as being an ideal. And it, it definitely seeped into our culture, I think. It's so true. And what's funny is narcissists typically take one of two communication paths, paths. One is the one you just mentioned, which is loud, interrupting, uh, like a tank. I think of those, the, that kind of personality is like they run people over. They'll interrupt you while they're speaking. They speak louder than you. Uh, they're kind of uh, verbal bullies, right? It's so like that, that has been romanticized. I totally agree with you. Wolf of Wall Street, my goodness, right? We have romanticized <laughs> that. I think uh, Wall Street in general has probably changed that. Oh, remind me and tell you about a Wall Street game in a second, because this absolutely proves what we're talking about. The other way that uh, I think that um, we see a narcissist is they are stoic and, and cold, mm-hmm. right? So they don't feel like they have. So those are two different ways. And they both come across narcissists. Wall Street. So interesting game that was played in a, in a study that I, I thought was really interesting about our verbal cues. So I mentioned earlier that there's these, these hidden verbal cues that we don't even realize we're sending. Very simple experiment. They had people come into the lab and play like a prisoner's dilemma game, right? One of those games where you have to share or cooperate profits. One group was told, you're going to play the community game. They showed the rules of the game. They had them play. The second group was told, you're going to play the Wall Street game. To give them the same rules, same room, same profits. Can you guess? Of course, the community game folks shared two thirds of the profits on average. The Wall Street game players shared one third of the profits. Now, this is kind of mind blowing. The everything was the same except for one word switch, right? Community to Wall Street. That's it. That was the only difference. Same researcher, same room. This shows me that the way that we label ourselves, each other, our meetings, our websites, our handles, those words actually prime us. And I think a lot of the times, and I talk about this in the verbal section of the book, they're the little cues that we throw away, like how you label your meetings, what you put in your calendar invites. Every single time someone opens their calendar and sees a meeting with you, you have a chance to tell them, we're going to play the community game on Tuesday at 3 p.m. or we're going to play the Wall Street game Tuesday at 2 p.m. Which do you want someone to play? The, bi- the big mistake I think we make when we're doing that is we call it call, meeting, catch up, it's like, it's like giving them no cues. It's literally like being stoic or cold with your words. And so a little bonus challenge I would give to folks if you're feeling brave is how do you want someone to play with you, right? How do you want someone to be with you? Do you want them to be productive and competent and capable? Great. Use words like productive and competent and capable. Use words like team. 
If you want someone to be warm and collaborative and open, use words like goal and warm and open. I think that if you use those, even just in the title of your, your email, the subject of your email, the title of your agenda, that actually changes the way people begin to prepare mentally for that interaction. I think you're so right. And I think as well, obviously, uh, not obviously, but the majority of listeners to this podcast are female and may work in an environment where they think that being succinct, being direct to the point is something that they need to strive to be so that they, they aren't seen as women in the workplace. It can be seen as a bit feminine to be too fluffy. So in order to be perceived a certain way, they might be direct. Now, Vanessa, that was definitely how I used to communicate by email, especially like here are all the points. There is no unnecessary word. You couldn't edit anything out of this. And they were cold. And I didn't realize that actually referencing the weather, even though to me, it seems like nonsense, but actually talking about the weather before you get to your point is a really important way of building essential rapport. Yes, yes. And it doesn't take many words. I'm so glad you brought this up. So I think flowery language or overusing language is throwing in adjectives when you can. That is the absolute wrong thing to do, right? That's just going to, it takes up word space. What I want you to do instead is I want you to actually keep the same word count, but just swap out a couple words, right? Like, it's not like they said, the community game, we're going to be friendly and collaborative and we're going to work together as a team. And then the Wall Street game played. No, it was the community game and Wall Street game. Literally, community is one less word than Wall Street, right? Mm -hmm. So this was very, very small switch. These don't take a lot of words. And this is, uh, there was a study that was done that looked at this exact thing. They wanted to know if if they just swapped out words. So not adding more words. They just changed their words to be more purposeful. And by the way, you can, if you want to be seen as highly competent, especially if you want to dial up your power as a female, you can use more competent, powerful words. They don't have to be positive. This is not about being positive all the time. I do not believe in toxic positivity, but this is about, you can use words like productive, capable, like, you know, let's power through. Here's the agenda today. Onwards, Vanessa, right? Like that was three or four words in a 10 word email. So here's what they did in the study. They had participants come to lab and take a little intelligence test. Okay. A very basic intelligence test. One group of participants got a cold or sterile set of directions. So a take the test below. It will take you 15 to 20 minutes. Use the best of your abilities to complete the questions. A a very succinct, cold, right? Like no um, uh, uh, emotional primers at all. So no no words that actually signaled or triggered anything. The second group had the exact same lab, study, table, pen, intelligence test, but their set of directions, they sprinkled in, they swapped out three or four achievement-oriented words. Achievement-oriented words are not positive words. They're words that specifically trigger in our brain the desire to be motivated, the desire to do, the desire to activate. It's a lot of our in our prefrontal cortex, like the desire to actually um, uh, be our best self. So achievement words are achieve, master, win, succeed. Okay, those kinds of words. They just swapped them in. They wanted to see, will these three or four achievement-oriented words actually make a difference? the participants who read the achievement-oriented words did better on their intelligence tests. Not only did they do better, they enjoyed the task more, they worked longer and harder on the quiz overall, and it actually changed their physiology. So when they took their blood samples before and after these tests, the research participants who had had these three or four different words, the actual task changed the chemistry in their blood. This is kind of mind blowing because I think it's so powerful because it means we don't have to add flowery language. We don't have to, you know, uh, double our word count. No, it's a couple of purposeful, powerful word swaps going from cold or danger zone to a little higher in competence or power or a little higher in warmth or collaboration. It's made me think of two things. First of all, I want to say, and I say this a lot on the show, but I do love me some science and I do love evidence-based people who bring evidence to their, what they're saying on the show. And actually one of the things that I wanted to say, uh, and I probably will have said it in the introduction, is that this is science-backed people skills. So when you're talking about studies, you aren't just talking about sort of small little groups. You're talking about bloods being taken before, bloods being taken yeah. after, people being yeah. hooked up to machines. So this is really investigating 
what might not look like anything to the naked eye if you're observing it, but you can see that there is a chemical, a biological, a physical reaction, which is just what is incredible. And that's, thank you for saying that, because I think that was what got me stuck for many years is I was trying to learn people's skills. You know, as a recovering awkward person, I was picking up every book I could think of, right? I I read Dale Carnegie and I was taking all those uh, little online classes and nothing stuck. And that's because first I felt like a lot of it wasn't science-based. It was opinion-based and opinion-based, by the way, is great. Like I love a a well-informed opinion, but it doesn't work for everyone. And the second thing that was happening to me was I noticed that a lot of people skills books or communication manuals are written by extroverts. Extroverts already have a natural affinity for people. They already get energy from interactions and people. And so they're already set up with a little bit more juice in their tank, a little more gas in their tank. I am not an extrovert. I'm actually an ambivert. So I'm somewhere in between. And most people are actually ambiverts. Very few people are true introverts and true extroverts. Ambiverts, we have to learn people's skills differently. And science-based skills really help us because we don't always get energy from people. We only sometimes get energy from people. So ambiverts, we can get energy. We feel better with the right people in the right places, people who make us thrive, people who support us. But if there is someone we dread, a place that we don't like, a toxic person, it makes us want to shut down. It puts us right back into awkwardness. It makes us not want to be with people. So we, if we're going to use a people skill, I want to make sure it is based in reality. I'm not a dabbler. An extrovert will try this. They'll try that. Oh, that one didn't work. That name trick didn't work. An ambivert, we want to know if I'm going to do this, it better work because we have limited social energy. And uh, listeners, if you would like to find out whether you are an extrovert, an introvert or an ambivert, you can take the quiz on scienceofpeople.com forward slash bonus. I took it. And Vanessa, I too am an ambivert. Yes, I knew it. I knew we were both it. I just had the feeling. I was like, she's an ambivert sister. I just knew. And by the way, most of us are. Well, I think so. Our our quiz is a little bit biased. So when we talk about our results, they're a little biased because obviously people who think they're ambiverts are more likely to take the quiz. Mm -hmm. But for our quiz, it's like 85% of people who take the quiz are ambiverts. So, and the research does show there's far more ambiverts to introverts or extroverts. So I share that because all these tips you're using, I want to make sure they're really going to work so that when you're brave enough to do them, you're rewarded. Mm -hmm. And so here's one that I truly know you're going to get social rewards, which is, a little audit you can do. And I talk about this in the book. We can do it right now, which is open up. Yeah. Open up your email sent folder and pull up your most recent important email message. That could be to anyone. It could be to boss, a client, colleague, pull it up and look at the kinds of words you use. What kinds of words are you using? There's two different kinds of words that we typically use. The first kind of words are warm words. Warm words are inspire openness and trust. They're kind of the warm and fuzzies. They make us feel teamwork. They make us feel belonging. Words like friend, best, both, together, happy. Those are all warm words. So count the number of warm words in your email. The second thing I want you to look for is competent words. These are high power words. Competent words are like the doing words. They make you want to get stuff done. Capable, productive, efficient, effective, agenda, power through. Those kinds of words. So count those. You will know very quickly how you're coming across to others based on how many warm versus competent words you use or no words at all. If you're like, none of these words are either warm or competent, that means you're cold. That means you're under signaling. My goal for you is in the very next important email that you send out, I want you to add one warm word and one competent word. This is not about a lot, right? This is just adding in one or two warm or competent words. The more you begin to add those words purposely, those swaps, the more people you are actually helping them know how they should treat you. You're telling them, I want to be both warm and trustworthy and open, but I also want to get stuff done and be powerful and competent. I'm I'm going to go through my inbox and my sent folder imminently. And actually, again, to bring up Chris Voss, when he came on the show, I said the amount of times I've sent an email using his technique which is, you know, I talked earlier about being very direct and not wanting to show any fault or flaw. And so if I've screwed up now, I'll say, you're going to think I'm incompetent or you're going to think I've really screwed up here. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But, and I literally, it's every single time I get a warm oh. response. I'm like, what? I was vulnerable. I admitted my mistake and you didn't cut me off. What? Actually, so this is a great little distinction here. Vulnerable is warm. So vulnerable is warm. Vulnerable is not bad, mm. right? So if you say, you know, I, I, um, I've been a little bit nervous about sending this email because I know that this is really important. That's actually warmth because it's a vulnerability. So truth deep thoughts, admitting something that's warm. Those count as warm. And by the way, emojis, <laughs> exclamation points also count as warm. So if you're an exclamation pointer or you use a lot of fab, whoop, yay, smiley face, heart, those are all warm words. So if you have, for example, um, happy Monday, exclamation point, that's too warm happy and exclamation point. So be sure to count those emojis and vulnerabilities as well as other also warm data percent charts or numbers or dollar signs. Those are all competent. Okay. This is all so amazing. And obviously listeners, I'll be putting the link to cues, the book in the show notes, but um, I want to ask you about something else because um, what I think perfect social interaction and, and somebody who is just navigating a social scene perfectly is ginger and casino oh i don't know ginger and casino sharon stone walks into the casino floor looking incredible in a dress she's got like a 20 folded into the shape of a little triangle in the palm of her hand she smiles at everyone but is already onto the next person everybody feels as though they have been touched by this warm wonderful (laughs) human being who radiates glamour and what have you so you might not have seen it but you kind of get the gist I get you I'm with you I'm already I'm already obsessed with ginger I haven't even seen it and I'm obsessed with her that's already happening yeah I'll send you a video afterwards (laughs) but essentially I thought that was what perfect social interaction was meeting everybody and making them feel really good but I am that's not perhaps what I should be aiming for is it oh goodness you know I like that. So I think there are different flavors of charisma, right? So there are, if everyone was the same kind of charisma, the world would be quite boring. So that what you just described, that is a beautiful flavor of charisma. Charisma, I would call that magnetic charisma, right? That's someone who just draws people to them. Like they are the kind of person they walk into them. Everyone looks their way. That is not my kind of charisma, right? When I walk into a room, I don't want anyone to look my way because I got to put my purse down. I got to go pee. I got to get a glass of water and I want to check out the buffet then I can interact, right? So there there are different kinds of charisma and that's good. So there is the magnetic kind of draw you in alluring personality. There's also the quiet contemplative introvert who says an incredible thing once you've gotten to deep conversation. There's also the compassionate, nurturing, empathetic healer, right? Someone who just makes you feel warm and taken care of. Those are all charismatic. And I think that that's sort of the beauty too many times. I think people are just told fake being an extrovert or the only way to be charismatic is to be the wolf of wall street, or the only way to be charismatic is to be ginger in casino. And so I think that there's different flavors and it's kind of a fun exercise to think of when I walk into a room, what kind of charisma do I want to have? Do I want to be like that? And by the way, that can be cultivated, right? You can, you can go, anyone can learn how to fold a, a 20 into a triangle, right? Like and that can be cultivated or is it, no, no, I want to have deep conversations with someone or is it, no, I want to find the host and I want to connect with them or no, is it, I'm going to network this room and I'm going to hand out my business card to a hundred people. Those are all great social goals. The key is every charismatic person has 
one thing in common, which is they all have a purpose. They all have an intention. And this is really important. I think that awkwardness can come from being out of control and not knowing what your goal is. So you walk into a room and you think, what should I do with my hands? Where should I stand? Should I put my purse down now or later? Should I get my coat? Should I say hi to the host? I don't know if I should say hi to the host. He's talking to someone. I don't want to interrupt him. That's where the awkwardness comes in. So before you walk into a room, any room, professional, personal, or social, I want you to think, what is my social goal? What is it that I want to do in the first five or 10 minutes? And that's going to be my purpose. When Sharon Stone, I can only imagine, I haven't even seen the scene yet, but I know based on just what you said, that she was walking with purpose, right? Like she was bare, she was hello, greeting people. And she was going some other purpose. We like people with a purpose. We pick up on that. Our emotions are very contagious. So my, my, the reason why I want you to have a goal is that is a secret backdoor into confidence. Even if you know, I'm going to walk in, I'm going to put my purse down, I'm going to hang my coat up, I'm going to go pee and empty my bladder, and then I'm going to get a big glass of red wine. Great. That's a backdoor into confidence. That's a great way of walking purposely through a room. You just made me think of something then when you were speaking about, um, you might be the person who networks and tries to speak to everybody. I think what I've done, not that this is my personal counseling call with Vanessa Van Edwards, but just oh, to I like me it. for Let's... a moment. I think Tell me, should we lay down on the couch? <laughs> yes, I shall recline. Um, <laughs> I think over the years, what I have done is I've always found the people who are also awkward and then we just lock in together. And so actually we're not even at the party. We've almost sequestered ourselves while still being physically present in the room. Oh my. Okay. So this just happened to me last week. I've never told this story before. So hopefully it will be semi-interesting and helpful. So I'm invited to a dinner. That's a very hard invite to get. So I live in Austin, Texas. There's a lot of entrepreneurs. Here. There's a lot of muckety mucks and big authors here. And there's this special dinner invitation that everyone wants to get where it's a, it's called a, a, a I won't even say the name of it just in case. It's a dinner, but it's a very hard invitation to get. And it's a curated group of very interesting people. You just, there's a moderator and you discuss a topic like a salon. And it's usually in one of the big mansions on the lake in Austin, Texas. So I get an invite. Immediately I'm like, uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is going to be great. Like there's going to be really interesting people there. And by the way, the topic is like so difficult. The topic is, is it the end of civilization? That's the topic. Okay. Which, which is like real serious, right? Like I was thinking like, is YouTube good or bad? Like that was a topic that I was hoping that they were going to no. It was a very serious topic. So I get into this room and it's in, I don't know, probably a 25,000 square foot mansion. I mean, just a huge mansion on the lake. Some very big people own it. I will not mention who they are, but they are people you would know for mm -hmm. sure. And so we, I walk in there and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I want to be me. And what's my goal? My social goal is to be myself and to meet my people. Very similar to what you just said. That was my big social goal. Be myself, meet my people. And I knew there was people who weren't my people. So we get in and they immediately put us in a big circle and we take off our clothes. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> 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 I'm so, I'm so with no. you. I totally believe you. Okay. Okay. No, I'm just joking. So we get in a circle. That was, that was a, that was a spontaneous joke. I'm very proud of myself. Okay. I so it. I just was thinking, I, I was thinking to myself as I was saying, it sounds very eyes wide shut. That's what I was worried about as I was explaining it. It was not eyes wide shut. So we get in a big circle and I have everyone go around and do a 30 second introduction, which this is a choice, right? If you've ever been in a group where they say, stand up and introduce yourself, this is your chance, right? And so I said, okay, I'm going to be myself. And I'm going to say, I'm a recovering awkward person. So I'm not going to like try to be more impressive than these people around the room. And so I said, my name is Vanessa and I'm a recovering awkward person. Everyone laughed. And then afterwards, almost every introduction, they said, my name is Mike. I'm also a recovering awkward person. And afterwards, it was like every awkward person in the room just came right over and we all like held hands together. You know, we were like, okay, we're in it together. And I realized, wow, like this is exactly what you just mentioned. The more we are ourselves, 
the more we know our flavor of charisma and the more we share it, the more we attract people like us. And that also helps us form deeper connections. So if you're an awkward person, share it. If you're an introvert, share it. If you would rather be at home watching Netflix and pajamas, but you're there instead, say it, right? Like, I think that that's where we find our people. Yes. And be, be open to people who might be feeling the same as you, who you just haven't connected with to welcoming them into the party as well. By the way, I was shocked at who came over me. So it was not who I would have guessed. Right. So, you know, we were all kind of mingling before that happened. And so I said, but I said, I'm a recovering up person, people who I thought were super confident came over and said, oh, I'm a recovering awkward person too. So I was surprised that you never know, you never know someone's social fears. You know, we, mm. we really can't guess someone's story. And so I think there's also a kindness for sharing yours first. I also, I firmly believe in being the first liker. Do you know? <laughs> so I think that a lot of the times we, as adults, we try to play it cool and we pretend that we don't, you know, we kind of like, we don't like anything, you know, we're, we, we sort of, we play it casual. I think if I like someone or I like something, I will be like, I really like you. And I have found that statement is like freeing. Like when I just say, I like you, can we hang out? Mm -hmm. Either people say, no, thank you. Okay, great. We just saved a lot of time or I like you too. Let's hang out. So I also believe if you can, if you're brave enough, be the first liker. If you like someone say it. Given that you've done all this work, these studies, you've um, studied people it's not just that you're a flanner, although I bet you are a flanner as well and love a bit of people watching at a cafe, but love it. By the way, I don't even know that word. A what? Flanner. A flanner? Like, yeah. A flanner? French. Yeah. You're so fancy. I mean, you're so fancy. <laughs> fancy. I'm just fronting. <laughs> um, but I would, because, okay, one of the things I like to do in the evening and I can do this for three hours is I can watch the behavior panel on YouTube or I can watch any of those videos where they take a situation. And for anyone who doesn't know, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's essentially four guys with varying different uh, areas of expertise in interrogation or basically really understand people in a very interesting way. And they'll watch something like the Oprah interview with Harry and Meghan. And they'll say what isn't being said when the other stuff is being said. And yeah. it is like, it's, you can see the matrix. <laughs> yes. yes. I, by the way, I think that cues is seeing the matrix, right? It's like, yeah. it's almost as if, and it's a little bit of a blessing and a curse, by the way, I have to give everyone a warning before they read is once you know the cues, it's hard to not see them, right? Like then you begin to see them everywhere. And this also is incredibly helpful for reality television. <laughs> so if you like reality television, this is a great little skill to have. You become the best person to watch all those reality shows with. I love, I don't know um, if you've seen uh, Married at First Sight. Have you seen that? Not yet. yet. Oh Not man. Yet. It's so good. So shows like that are really great because it's a great way to practice. Now, some reality shows, of course, are a little bit scripted, but what's great is that you can almost test yourself, right? You can guess, did that first impression go good or bad? Are they going to get a second date or not? So it's a great way to test your first impression skills, which is a really important skill set to have because you want to know very quickly, is that person feeling affinity? Are they feeling good? Or mm, I think I saw some, even though they said it was good, I felt like they were actually saying that it was bad. So I really uh, highly recommend more reality shows. It's, it's good for your cue learning. Definitely. Well, I would, I would wonder, given everything that you've done, that you go to the big mansion on the lake with, with people <laughs> yeah. and you obviously were yourself as you've you've described but knowing what you know was there not a temptation to just take a few steps back and look and particularly if you've read the book cues you would have been looking at people's feet a hundred percent oh a hundred percent in fact it gave me something to do right in those in those in the mingling you know 20 minutes before we circled up in the uh pre-discussion mingling it gave me something for my mind to do which i also think is one of those secret backdoors into confidence because if i don't have something to do my brain overthinks like a hundred percent if i don't have something to feed my brain it's going to start self-criticizing and that's something that i'm working on right like i'm a high neurotics and neuroticism is one of the five personality traits so i tend to be an overthinker and so if i'm not giving my brain constant munchies it's just going to munch on itself 
So being like exactly where are people's feet pointed? So this is a, a funny thing about human behavior is so humans, when we want to move towards something, we angle our body towards it. And then we begin to walk that way. We literally have to move our toes towards the thing we want to go towards. So I have noticed, and this is anecdotally, that people tend to point their toes to where their brain is preoccupied. So if someone has to go to the bathroom, their toes will probably be pointed towards the toilet. If someone's going to sneak out early, their toes will be pointed towards the exit. If someone has a crush, now this is anecdotal, this is not based in academic research. I have noticed my team and I uh, did some observing of holiday parties back in the day. And we noticed we could predict some of the secret crushes in the room because even when they were across the room, people tended to point their toes towards that person. The only exception to this was that people also tended to point their toes towards the boss. Right. Right. So we tend to be oriented just subtly. Our brain is like always, our brain is a little bit on the most powerful person in the room and the person we might be attracted to. Kind of fun. Interesting. You need to look at people's feetlessness. Um, So I wanted to ask you as well about uh, this idea of of charisma. And I wanted to bring in some examples that then listeners could maybe look at, because one of the people who I think is the best interviewee, and because they're a big famous actor, they're seeing that watching this is really easy to find. And I don't know if you have any insight on this. Ryan Gosling, have you ever seen him being interviewed? Yes, he is an excellent interviewee. He's also very demure, Yes, right? Yes, he's very, so he, this is a really good example. Let's compare the way that Ryan Gosling, I actually think that Ryan Gosling and Brad Pitt interview similarly. If you watch two of their interviews, they both know that they're extremely good looking, I think, so their confidence is apparent, but they don't want to put it in your face, right? They're very (laughs) chill, very relaxed. Actually, everything about them is almost almost dripping with relaxation. So from a nonverbal perspective, typically their hands are relaxed, nice and relaxed in their lap or on their armchair. Their shoulders are really low. You'll see a lot of distance between their earlobes and their shoulders as if they're like, I can just relax and lay back in this chair. Vocally, they tend to have a very relaxed tone of voice, you know, kind of answer like this. It's uh, really been interesting to uh, work on that movie. And uh, they have a very relaxed tone of voice like that. Yeah. And And slow. And slow, like slow, like molasses in a sweet way. Slow, calm, collected. And that is very charismatic. Let's take for an example, the opposite, but also very charismatic, but opposite flavors is The Rock. So have you ever seen The Rock be interviewed? Yes. So The Rock, he's using gestures. If you watch The Rock, he's leaning forward out of his chair. It also might be because he can't fit in the chair, right? He's like, you know, huge. He's always like leaning (laughs) forward and he's using lots of gestures. He's telling stories. He's eyebrow raising. He's expanding. He's talking. He's uh, his, he's up here. Oh my, let me tell you this story. It's crazy. I can't wait. Ellen, listen to the story. It is, you're not going to believe what happened to me. All right. So last week I'm in a much faster pace, hitting that pace. Those are both different kinds of charisma, but they feel totally different. And so I think it's really important to figure out which one feels more like you, right? Mm-hmm. Are you like slow, cool, calm, collected? Awesome. Don't try to be fast like the rock, right? That will not fit well with you. If you're the fast and upbeat and leaning, that's more me right? Like I'm, I'm an over talker. I'm a fast talker. I use a lot of gestures. If I tried to be cool, calm and collected, it would smell inauthentic. You would smell it on me that I was trying way too hard. Well, this is what I was going to ask you as well, because I think we all pick up on these things. And actually I had, and I, you quote her in the book, Evie Pomporis came on the podcast and she talked about what you pick up from people. And she's somebody who I imagine if we went out for dinner with her, she would have her back to the back of the room. She would know where 100%. all the exits are, yeah. you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I would be a little nervous maybe going out to dinner with her. <laughs> I would want to make sure that uh, uh, I was on my A game that night. <laughs> I would want to have a pump from using kettlebells. And I'd be like, look, I did work out today, Evie, I promise. Um, yeah, Because yeah. she, she really does do an amazing workout. But she is somebody who has extreme confidence and command of any room she's in. Yes. And it's extremely quiet. And it's, in many instances, nonverbal, what she brings to the table. And so... I think what I'm trying to get at is that we can all pick up on these cues, but perhaps we don't always know what they mean. So somebody might interpret Evie's kind of confidence as quiet and maybe assume 
that there was some shyness there. Hmm. But someone else who has a similar command of the room, but is maybe being louder and gesturing more, but it's the same thing. But we are generally warmer, I think, to, we know that we're warmer and more receptive to attractive people. And are we warmer and more receptive to more flamboyant people who take up space and make a lot of noise? And can that sometimes sort of interfere with our radar and our ability to read people in situations? Yes. So I'm going to speak to one specific cue that you mentioned, because I know the research on this cue. So the research very clearly shows that we like people with higher volumes. And that is exactly what you mentioned. It's sort of, if someone speaks in a high volume, they're going to be heard. They're going to quiet other people. They're sort of um, taking over. And research shows that we actually, I should change the way I said that. It's not that we like people with higher volumes. We typically perceive people with higher volumes as having more power. Okay. So like and power are two different things. So yes, it is true that someone who's, I would say, taking more energy up in the room, they're being louder, they're using more gestures, they're, they're moving around the room, they're working the room, right? That, that phrase, they're working the room. We universally tend to perceive that as more powerful. Do we like it? Maybe not. So there might be people, everyone in the room can say, yeah, that person's powerful, but some people might be like, ah, so obnoxious. Or other people might think, oh, how great, how charismatic. So powerful, yes, but we all have our own liking preferences. And I think that that's good. I think that's a good thing. Mm, Yes. It's why, well, some people really love The Rock and other people really, really love Ryan Gosling. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's a very cool way. Are you team Ryan or are you team Rock? That's the question. That's the most important question of this podcast. Are you team Ryan or team Rock? In the six years I've been creating this show, I think we finally got to the nub of the issue. Um, We got it. We got it. (laughs) Also in the book, you say that nonverbal cues account for 65 to 90% of our communication. And that's a lot. And I mean, it does mean, I guess, that as we talked about right at the beginning of the show, if you are interpreting the world negatively because of your own bias, you are creating that world. And so if someone's listening to this and they think, actually, I want the world, I want to walk into every room and feel like anything's possible and to feel upbeat and to feel like every stranger is a potential friend, how can they begin to change how they read the world? Are there any easy steps that you might recommend for them? Yes. So uh, first of all, know that's possible, right? So it is possible to change your bias. It is possible to um, get out of these patterns and they are patterns, right? We create social patterns from our younger years. If we've had one or two bad experiences at a school dance, we might always forever think that a nightclub is bad, right? Like it's, it's that we're in these social groups or patterns. So first you can change them, right? We can rework them. The second way you have to think about it is it is a little bit like going to the gym. What I mean by this is if you've never been to the gym before, because you think, oh, I'd be terrible at that. You're never going to get anywhere, right? You're definitely not going to work out if you think the gym is terrible. If you get yourself to the gym, you're like, okay, I'm going to try it. That's the step of, I acknowledge that I can change this. And you lift, you do bicep curls 10 times and never go back. It's still not going to work. This is the, the first part is awareness. Yes. I know I can change it. The second part is what are the exercises I need to do that are going to make me feel better? And this is up to you, right? So if you know, okay, I want to walk into the room and I want to have a powerful presence. I want to be able to be myself. That means, okay, what are the bicep curls you have to do to get there? What are the squats I have to do to get there? What's the proper format to do that? So for you, if you want to show up as your more confident self, it might be um, making the first 10 words that you use to be more purposeful. So instead of accidentally starting negative, so, oh, isn't this weather terrible today? That's a horrible verbal cue. We swap out right those little swaps and we start out with something slightly positive. Oh, I've been so looking forward to this. Good morning, everyone. Okay. That's the first bicep curl. You're swapping the first 10 words you use with a tiny bit more purpose. That doesn't mean you do it once. It means every time you hop on a video call, a meeting, an email, a date, you're doing more bicep curls, right? Every time you do it, you're strengthening that muscle. So that could be the first 10 words. The second thing that could be is um, using a nonverbal form of greeting. So we mentioned that um, 65 to 90% of our communication is nonverbal. By the way, that's a really hard percent to get. The research is, this is very difficult because the amount of communication is nonverbal. First of all, it's very hard to measure. Second, it does change in specific situations. That's why it's such a broad range. The reason why I think it's important is because it is the majority, 
right? So whether it's 65 or whether it's 90, it's still a lot more than I think we give it credit for. Mm-hmm. So having a nonverbal protocol, knowing exactly what you do in your first impression that feels natural to you. So for example, my nonverbal protocol for YouTube videos. So I started YouTube in 2007, if you can believe it, aging myself. In 2007, I would struggle with the first minute of my video. Like I was like, uh, hi, so today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk. Hi, I'm Vanessa. Like, you know, I just was so that that first minute was like, once I got into it, I got into it. So I was like, I'm going to develop a nonverbal protocol for the first 10 seconds of every video. So now at the very beginning of every video, I start them all the same way. I hold up both my hands as a little kind of high and I say, hello, 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 YouTube friends. Now that might not be natural to you, but for me, that's a double acknowledgement. So we love to see people's palms. So I hold up my palms to say literally double hello. I say, hello, hello, YouTube friends, which for me is a very easy kind of warm opener. And then I immediately introduce the subject of our video that has taken out so much social pain. So for you, I would encourage you to think about what is the nonverbal protocol you want to use in your first impressions, whether that's on a video call or on a date or in a meeting getting really purposeful, remember picking your social goal, that's going to put you more in control. Now, say someone listening to this or hosting it is an ambivert and (laughs) is listening to what you've just said and can think that when they walk into a room, they are thinking about, right, what would my, what would I say? And their head is ticking over and they're thinking, I'm good at that on Zoom because I'm not porous to someone else's energy yet. There's a, there's, yeah. there's a comfortable barrier between me and the other person. Yet totally. I don't have the same, my bicep curls, it's <laughs> like I can't lift as heavy weights in person yes. as I can on Zoom. What about, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's experienced that. Okay, you're so right. I love that we're still sticking with this metaphor. Metaphors <laughs> make me so happy. Okay, let's let's keep going with this metaphor. Okay, our social muscles have atrophied that's exactly what you've acknowledged. Something over the last two years, we've, we're not only interacting way less in person, but even how we interact in person has changed with social distancing, with not being able to shake hands. And so now that we're starting to get off of video calls and go back in person, it's like, whoa, I haven't done this squat in two years. That's okay. Vulnerability here is key. No, woof. I'm going back into the gym after a two-year break. That's how I want you to think about it. So permission for yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. be kind to yourself. And then second, what I've been saying in my in-person, in my in-person um, interactions, I always said in-person calls. I mean, it just shows you how to practice it, right? In my in-person um, get-togethers, I'm like, I almost forgot how to hug. Let's see if we can do it. <laughs> you know, just like a little bit of levity, a little bit of making fun of yourself. When I trip up, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking to someone in person, I say, oh, it's been so long since I've talked in person. I forgot how to do it. Forgive me. And we laugh and everyone feels the same way. So I would say vulnerability and honesty, poke fun at yourself, share that with people. It's such a beautiful way of coming back into the gym after all those years. Such a good point. I could honestly talk to you for another hour, but I'm very, very aware that I have um, uh, reached the end of my allotted time. So this has been fantastic. I hope that you'll come back soon and maybe we can do a whole episode on recognizing narcissists because I know that's something that oh, I know man. listeners would really oh, do. Yeah. And, and toxic people. Oof. Mm. Yes. I, okay. So uh, I will schedule this in a warmly worded and competently worded email. <laughs> and you're going to come to Austin to visit me and we're not going to go to a lake house and get naked. We're just going to have tacos. <laughs> no, no, exactly. And we might get Renee Rouleau involved. Friend of the show. Um, Vanessa, I'm going to put the links to you, your website, cues, also your other book, your videos, your TED talk. I'm going to put all the links in the show notes because I think that you are a resource that people should mine for all the wonderful information. But it has been such a pleasure. I've enjoyed this so much. And I just thank you for sharing and just being such an excellent guest. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for listening. And for everyone who's listening, you took the time to be with us here today. You have so much potential There is so much growth that you can have. I'm so excited and honored to help and let me know how I can help in the future too. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, 
then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.